0: listening to Cooper Talk. Welcome to Cooper Talk. I'm your host Steve Cooper and remember I'm only as hip as my guest. I got to tell you we we have a great show today. My guest, you know her from TV, you know her from the movies, you know her from stage. She's a playwright, she wrote a great one-person show that she starred in. She's a creative consultant. I'm looking at her website, she's a self-coach, self-tape coaching. She's a partner betrayal counselor and she co-starred in in my eyes one of the best eighties movies ever, some kind of wonderful, and people never give it the credit it deserves. And my guest is Maddie Corman. How you doing, Maddie? Hi Steve. What a
1: lovely introduction. I'm
0: I'm mostly good today. How are you doing? I'm good. So what where where are you mentally right now with the strike? Because <laughs> oh, <laughs> I wanna, the strike. <laughs> I want to start now with the strike. I want I want to know because it's People don't understand, you know, you've been acting your whole life. So you're used to the grind, the audition, going to set, doing this. And I know you've done some plays in between, like the fears, the summer and stuff like that. But what is it like when you're so used to something and it's not like you're saying, okay, I'm, I'm going to take a six month sabbatical." You don't know when it's coming back. What is, where is your mental state? Yeah. Um, well,
1: first of all. That's a really interesting and important question, and one that I think we're not actually talking about enough um especially with younger actors um this starting and stopping no one wants this strike, no one wants this strike, certainly no actors that I know um are happy about this um and I won't get into the details about all the reasons why because they think that's easy. Um, ish to find, but I think it's a really important question about what this does to the mental state of artists. And I, I liked the way you phrased the question because it's not just auditioning. I- I'm sorry, it's not just working. Actors, part of our job is auditioning to get the work. Um, occasionally in my old er age, I do get offered things, but I'm still an actress that auditions for roles and that's part of the job. And with COVID, obviously, that really stopped um, auditions cold. And then when we came back, which we still haven't fully come back, but when we did, everything, for the most part, became self-tape or Zoom. And I think that has really affected, I know it's affected my mental health, because there is a group of actors that I've been auditioning with, um, for years, for decades now, and we are journeyman actors. We see each other and it's not just other women who are my same type. They're just the New York actors. I I live in New York and work in New York for the most part. And we've known each other because we work together, but we also see each other in these waiting rooms. And that going away um, really took away a sense of community and when, especially during the early days of COVID when we did work, it was a very lonely workplace as opposed to where we're hanging out together, um, maybe eating lunch together at the craft services table together. Um, everyone's separate for very good reason for health reasons, but a lot of um, as we navigate through this part of COVID, not saying it's done, but we're, we're navigating it differently. Some of those, um, things have remained including self tapes for auditions and it's very lonely and now with the strike um we're not even um we're not even auditioning um at all i know there are some uh projects that have gotten um interim agreements and that's great but for me it's been very quiet and um yeah it's it's one of the reasons i started to write um because you can do that at any time you don't need anybody to tell you it's it's okay to start (laughs) acting alone is pretty lonely but writing alone feels pretty right but um like you said i think um i think this strike i think COVID, i think the state of the world has um has really affected um artists and people in general it's not just the actors that are um pausing because of this strike casting directors, costume designers um, and crews, um, all everybody who works um, in and around the film industry is affected by this and it's really challenging.
0: Let me ask you: When you you brought up the self taping, and I I get different stories. Some people love being in the room. Some people yeah, love self taping. I don't understand.
1: You, I mean, I, I understand that. I don't. I know there are some people who love self tape. Well, I don't for you,
0: because you you have a you have a you've done stage, so I, and you're used to it. Like you know, when you go in the room, it's second nature. I'm sure. When you know, it's something that that's that feeling. But what do you? Is there anything you like about self
1: taping? No. Uh, no, let me think about it for a minute. I like that. I can keep my shoes off. I like that. I don't have to commute. I like that my dog can be on my lap while I'm, um, doing an audition. Uh, but it's so, yes, of course. I like that. I can be anywhere and not miss an appointment, but I, I, to me, it doesn't outweigh the, uh, benefits of, getting feedback from um, someone who's actually working on the project when you do a self-tape there's not even anyone to say oh that was great but can you make an adjustment or spot on do it again like but with a little bit more of this i really love collaborating i really love casting directors um for the most part and directors and writers and I think one of the reasons I love theater is it does tend to be very collaborative, but so does film and so does TV. And I um, I also just think you can tell, um, get a vibe from someone if you like them or not and working together potentially on a project that you could be on for months, if not years. It's stunning to me that people are making decisions without actually being, even in a Zoom room, but being in any kind of room with someone. Because you can be talented, but that doesn't mean you are a enjoyable person to work with. <laughs> so I, I think that I certainly understand people, um, especially people on the end of that are paying for it, that it makes sense. But no, I miss it. And, you know, I'll be the one complaining when I get a last minute audition and it's snowing and I have to get there. But... I still think there's, I think that's part of the gig. At least it used to be. But I'm trying, trying, trying to wrap my head around it because I don't like to get too negative. And um, what I used to say to my students and to myself when things were slow was that an audition, instead of being annoyed with having to audition or not getting the part, it's really just an opportunity to do what you love um, and play a little bit. I find it less fun when there's not another actor in
0: the room to read with. That makes sense. So now, what got you into acting? You've been acting for a long time. You know, you started working at a young age. But, you know, what, like for me, I, I did stand-up comedy for a long time. But I didn't get into that till after I got out of college. I, I liked it, but I never knew how to do it or what to do it. But for you, you know, what made you, what kind of kid were you? Were you a kid who was just like the stage geek? Or were you the kid who was like, eh, she's precocious or what were you like as a kid that made you go into this career at a very young age?
1: I know it's so weird to still be doing the same thing I did when I was six. Um, sometimes, um, I mean, yeah, I I think it was a lot of things that I wasn't, I wasn't very athletic. Um, I, and I grew up in a little suburban town outside of New York city And it was very sports oriented kind of school system and town and lovely town, but it was a lot of rah-rah. And that was not for me. Um, My parents were not artists, but they were patrons of the arts. And we went to see a lot of theater and dance and um, shows when I was little. And I remember saying, seeing a kid i think it might have been even the nutcracker or something and i knew i couldn't dance that well although i probably thought i could at the time but seeing little people like me little young people and going "Ooh, they're up there i want to be up there i wanted it i had a passion um a real desire to do it and a lack of fear um around it from a very early age and there were little classes or you know i would audition for the the lead in the school plays and um and my parents were not fully aware of how to help me but they did see that i had an actual they kept thinking i think my mom kept thinking i would get tired of it um or like many kids you know say i love this one day and then i love something else i did like horseback riding um so i guess i wasn't completely uncoordinated But never, um, I never felt as connected as when I was singing or acting when I was little. And I learned pretty early on that I could sing, but I wasn't great. I was pretty good, but not great. And then I think that just made me want to be a person on stage or screen that was acting. I can't really explain it, and I still can't really explain it, but I still love it. And it's many decades later. And um, it's just something that I love doing. And I'm a person that doesn't feel very comfortable much of the time, but I truly do feel comfortable in a rehearsal room, on a stage, on a set. Occasionally, not all
0: the time. But. Now, do you think it helped that you live close to New York? Because I always, I talked to some people who are actors who like they grew up in the Midwest, and you go, "Holy crap!" Like you're in the Midwest. Like if the, like I grew up near Philadelphia, and I, I moved back here. So when I did comedy, there was a bustling comedy scene in Philadelphia, so I could go over there and I could get stage time and I could learn. For you, do you yeah. think it helped a lot that you were near New York City because it wasn't like oh I got to go four hours to get into the big oh, city. Yeah.
1: Hundred percent. And also I had parents, like I said, who had other things. I mean, my mother was a special ed teacher, my dad was a lawyer, like they were not this was not their whole life. So the fact that it was semi convenient allowed me to beg them to let me to do it, uh to, to pursue this in a professional way. Um whereas if they had to move or take too much time away from my brother or their own jobs, I don't think that they would have done it. And also, I was very lucky to be privileged enough to get to see theater and and see uh, live performances that I think sparked something in me. Um, and I had access um, to great teachers. And yes, absolutely, to working without disrupting my entire family because I wasn't the most even though I may have thought I was I wasn't the most important person in the family you know everybody had their own uh, things going on so I do think that and then in another way I envy friends of mine who had the kind of bucolic upbringing and had that real joy of doing school shows and not mixing it with the business part of it because I did start I started late as a kid actress, but early as a human being. Um, I missed the whole Annie craze because my mother would not let me. She didn't want to stand on a line, and that was kind of open call type things. So she kind of kept, as I said, thinking I would change my mind and said, well, if you still want to do it when you're 13, we'll talk about getting you uh, maybe some kind of manager or agent or something. She didn't really know what that would be. But I didn't forget and I kept going and I did community theater um, and she got enough feedback saying your kids, she didn't want me to be heartbroken either and she didn't want to send me to the wolves and I think she got enough feedback saying this kid has some sort of talent. Um, And yeah, at 13, my acting teacher at the time kind of became a manager for me and then helped me find it. A real legit person so i think definitely that helped in the sense of getting me into the professional world but i also think i learned very quickly about extreme disappointment um i learned about um, being typed uh, as a young girl being told you know oh you're not pretty enough for this oh you don't look like that um things i might not have been thinking about um were put upon me because i became a professional so young
0: now now after school special is that your first credit cuz i remember I, the after school specials you know people if if you weren't around then they were i mean i'm old i'm i'm older than you and they were on the after school specials were great looking back they were very they're very valuable. Like you know, you see some like there's like a John Favreau one you go, "What that John?" you know. And there's so many people. But was that your first big gig and what was that like for you to be on set at a young age?
1: Oh my gosh, I loved after-school specials. Yes, and we are definitely aging ourselves, but you know, there wasn't cable and there wasn't um a whole bunch of programming for kids. I mean, there really wasn't. And the roles available to younger actors where you were the daughter uh, or the son on a show. There really weren't a ton of shows centered on teenagers um, or younger tweens. Um, there was no Disney Channel, there was no Nickelodeon and you were the kids on the show. So but the after-school specials were about us, you know? So I was obsessed with them, I loved them. And yes, I think it was one of my early credits was certainly this after special, I want to go home. It was Seth Green and I played brother and sister and our mother kidnapped us from our father, um, and in a messy divorce. Then I did another one that was, I don't think it was an after-school special. I think it was like a, it was a nighttime special. And that was called my mother, the witch. And I played, um, a young girl during Salem times, whose mom was accused of being a witch. They were very serious. As a person who ended up doing a lot more light, well, I really started out with some pretty heavy, heavy-duty roles. Oh yeah, I was utterly thrilled. And they were both these very meaty leading, leading lady roles for my little thirteen, fourteen-year-old self. I think I was, yeah, I think I was thirteen, fourteen when I did those.
0: Now, now, how did some kind wonderful come about? I, as I just said I, 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 love that movie, and I'm, I'm a big John Hughes fan, and you know it's funny. We're going back to a, me and my wife. are going back to our college uh, this coming weekend, and I was in college in the '80s, so they were such a big part, and they'd be really and like you said, there was no. I mean, there was VCR and then we could watch it, but there was no all these different channels. There would be a few pay channels, but how did that come about? And and to you looking back, I mean, it must be a great feeling. To know that you're in, in one of the most iconic writers I know he I know John didn't direct that, but Deutsch did who's also directed pretty in pink, but how does that make you feel that you were like you're in an iconic i mean my my niece with the mom of college, and they had a class about the movies of John Hughes I mean what's that like, and how did that role come about because I adore that movie oh that's so nice.
1: I still love it too. I think it does hold up. I actually did a panel last night and um It's funny you say that because a woman came up to me and said I did my thesis on John Hughes films and wrote about my character and and about some kind of wonderful and I meet a lot of people who say it's underappreciated but I that's a lot of people saying something's underappreciated so I think it's a a vocal minority who love the film. Um, I mean, I am a kid of the 80s. It was very exciting. I was uh, going to the movies to see Breakfast Club and Pretty in Pink. I'm a little bit younger than that Brat Pack, a teeny bit younger than Molly Uh, Ringwald, who's become a friend of mine. Um, So I I was in high school. You know, there were a bunch of college kids playing high school kids, but I was in high school and I had an audition And I think they took the cover page off initially because, you know, these days there's a lot of NDAs and a lot of, but in those days, there was no email. We weren't, nobody was publishing scripts around, but they still didn't want this to get out. So they took off the cover page and I read the script for some kind of wonderful, and I loved it. Um, I loved it so much and I loved the role, but I didn't really know that it was a John Hughes movie. Um, Looking back, you'd think I would know, but I was busy, I was in high school, I was reading things. So I think I had my initial audition on tape maybe, and then um, with a casting director in New York City, not a self tape, going into an office. And then originally the movie was going to be directed by a woman named Martha Coolidge. And Martha um, had seen a movie called seven minutes in heaven that I was in and she loved the movie and she liked me in the movie. And so she called me in to audition for her. I can't remember if I also did a tape, but I went and I met Martha and we really liked each other and she liked what I did. And, um, I knew that, and my mom had taken me and we knew that it went well and we were excited. It was exciting. And at this point, I think, I I learned that it was a John Hughes movie, but that he wasn't directing it. But this was exciting and great. And I had a call back and I met um, one of the producers, which again, this was a weird trajectory. And then um, my mother, I was 16 at the time and very close with my mom for many reasons, not the least of which was I was a kid actress and we did everything. You know, she'd have to come with me on sets. So at a time when I think a lot of teenagers were separating from their moms, I was getting even closer to my mom because we were together all the time. And we got along really well too. And she was incredibly supportive and funny and great. And she got really, really sick, really sick. Um, She had a stroke and she had been fighting um, skin cancer, melanoma. And then she, out of the blue, kind of had a stroke, and it turned out that the cancer had spread. And she got, she went to the hospital, and she passed away two weeks after the stroke. And in that crazy, intense two weeks, at one point, I was, I lived in Westchester, but the hospital was in the city, in New York City. And we didn't have, um, we had an answering machine. I don't know if you remember, but in those days, you had a, thing that you put up to a payphone and you could listen to your messages. It somehow had a system that it would make your machine rewind and tell you your messages. And I got a message from my agent or manager at the time saying, we really, we know things are bad, but you have this callback for um, some kind of wonderful. And, and uh, they want to see you today. And I was in shorts and a t-shirt and I was in the hospital and I told my mom and she was like, she couldn't really talk that well then, but she kind of told me to go. And I went, I I can't believe I went, but I went and it was just a casting director. It wasn't, um, there wasn't a director or producer or John or anybody there. It's just the casting director. And he said, they really like you for this. And we're going to put you on tape and send it out to LA again. So I said, okay, and I did it. And I went back to the hospital. I took a cab back to the hospital and I went in and I told my mother that it went great and that everyone was there and that I got the part. I just told her, you know, I just lied and said I got the part. And a couple days later um, she passed away. And obviously I didn't think about anything at that time. I was utterly devastated. And then I think maybe a week or two after my mom passed, they called and said they want to see you again for some kind of wonderful, and I was like, geez, I've, I've now read for this thing like three times, <laughs> me, 16-year-old me, and and it turned out, of course, they were nervous. They said, well, John Hughes wants to meet you, and I thought, well, that's good, but like, meet me because I have the part, and they said no, and of course, looking back, they wanted to make sure that I was okay enough to film a movie, in a couple of weeks after my mother died but i which i found extremely offensive i was like well i'm a professional you know how could i it's crazy so i went in and i met with john and that was awesome and fun and he he wasn't like a kid to me but he was like a god to me because he had made these amazing movies but but he spoke to me like i was someone worthwhile I can't explain it it wasn't like he was a kid but he had a way of speaking to young people um and he didn't talk down to me and he didn't talk down to me about or and he didn't feel sorry for me and we had this great conversation and this great meeting and my dad went with me because it was one of my first auditions since my mom had passed and we walked down the street after and i said i feel really great about this whatever happens that was really exciting and, um, yeah, then a couple of weeks later, we got the call that I got the part. And so that whole project, <laughs> yes. When you ask like, am I happy that I'm part of something iconic um, and important and beloved? Yes. But that movie also really saved my family in a lot of ways. You know, we went, my little brother and my dad and I went out to LA. It was the summertime. None of us knew what to do with ourselves. We were in such deep grief. And I spent my days on the set, truly happy. And then I'd go home at night and be truly devastated. Uh, but it wasn't, so it was a very surreal time. And I and I hold that time and I hold those people very close to my heart. P.S., on my first day out in LA to start rehearsal, Martha Coolidge <laughs> met me in her office and said, I have some bad news, I've been fired, but don't worry, you're still gonna be in the movie. And I was like, what? (laughs) And I walked across, they walked me across the lot at Paramount, my dad and my brother and I, and I'm like, I don't know what's going on. And we walked from one office where Martha was taking down her posters to another office where Howie was putting up some posters and saying, welcome, I'm so happy. You're going to be with us. And um, so it was a very uh, intense experience in many, many ways. And not everyone from that original cast remained in the film. We had a bunch of weeks of rehearsal. Um, and there were some cast changes along the way.
0: That's so. amazing. It's like C. Thomas Howell told me how he got fired from uh, Back to the Future. But Eric I got fired before him. And he ran into him at a diner in L.A. And they're like, holy crap, we both got fired from the same movie and that's the thing people don't see that stuff goes on you know people don't understand there's last minute changes now i wanted to ask you you're a young you're a young actor you do a john hughes movie and then you end up working with george c scott what what is that like like that's like you're sitting there you're going from the the king of the you know 80s movies to a legendary actor was that even intimidating at all to you, or is it because, as you said earlier, you had no fear at that age? It was easy to walk into something like that?
1: I mean, I think i was um I had no fear, which was not always the most intelligent response um I knew that George C. Scott was revered, and I knew he was great, and I knew I should be intimidated, but I also didn't like I had to bone up on on his work you know i didn't I hadn't seen Patton, I hadn't seen a lot of his great films that wasn't really my it, it to me john hughes was much more intimidating than george c scott in my head now in real life george was a force to be reckoned with and um he was not the happiest guy he was newly sober um and not delighted about that he had had some health issues and the doctor said you've got to stop drinking immediately and he hated that um and he wasn't that thrilled to be doing TV. Um, so it was, as opposed to some kind of wonderful, which was, even though there was turmoil on that set and people were upset about, um, rightly so, about Martha being fired, um, especially Eric, I really, really fell in love. That that cast really became, I'm still very close with Eric. I still love Mary Stewart. Like that was a very, um, for me, it was a very, delicious delightful place to work uh (laughs) Mr. President was not that because George um he loved me and I loved him but he didn't love the project so it was and I was young I was a young 17 when I did that I think I turned 18 um doing that show and I was young I was um very wide-eyed and even though I had had this terrible tragedy and I had worked on this big Hollywood movie, I still had a real suburban girl. I probably still do kind of like, isn't it great we're doing this show and George C. Scott's one of our finest actors and he's doing TV, it's gonna be awesome. And that wasn't the full experience. And I was lonely. I I had to move to LA and um, it it was amazing. And I'm glad I did it. And actually, Mary Stuart Masterson's mom played my mom on the first season. And so that felt very like all in the family. And she was wonderful. She sadly just passed away a couple of weeks ago, Carlin Glenn. But she was a wonderful actress and a wonderful, warm person. Very maternal. And that was really nice. And then she got fired after one season. And Madeline Kahn came on the show now. So now I'm working with an acting legend and a comedian to uh, unparalleled you know I think she's a genius um so I was very gr grou- aware that this was a good job, but it wasn't always um delightful and i felt I felt a little lost being out in l a that young doing that show now to be h- honest
0: how was it to start to transition to parts as you get older because you know it's it's something that people see you in a certain role and then i'm sure sometimes people are a lot they they're in there like you said college kids playing high school kids but as an actor you're sitting there going i don't want to really you don't you know you, know, you want to grow as an actor what is it like because you started young you had these roles and then all of a sudden you're like holy crap i'm i'm 21 now like i'm i can't play the little sister. I mean, how does, how does someone prepare themselves for that? Cause it has to be challenging.
1: Yeah. I mean, I just kept, um, I I've always been, uh, I always have seen myself and I think correctly. So as a character actor, so I'm kind of like, all right, well now I'm the funny friend. Okay. Well now I'm the wacky mom. Okay. Well now I'm the slightly older yoga teacher, you know, like I don't, I, I think because I never was the ingenue, never saw myself. I mean, I have played parts that were described as being pretty, but that's never been something that I thought of myself as. So the youth part, listen, nobody likes getting old, but I think, I think there's for any actor, but certainly for me who did have some notoriety as a younger person, that thing of like, well, who is she now? Can she play this? um and i think that's just societal and the business and i don't know how i dealt with it except that i somehow kept working (laughs) but i did certainly go through times where i think people were like well what do we do with her she's she's the she's this thing and now she's not um and i think the time that i stopped working the most was probably after i heard i had my first child my I had a baby girl and I stopped working partly because I wanted to and I was lucky enough to be um be okay to stay home with her but it was like the first time since I was 16 years old maybe younger I started working at professionally at 13 14 that I wasn't getting that kind of feedback um either applause or money or the kind of uh, support you get when you're filming something or being in a play. And it was hard. That was hard. That was a transition for me of like, who am I if I'm not an actor? And, um, and it was hard and important for me as a, as a human being. And I, I've never been good at the hustling part of the business and the branding, like, well, what's your type? What are you? Um, but I, I still get excited about playing certain roles. So I don't feel like, I don't feel like I I lost out on um, or got typed out of things. Maybe because I really never was very famous. I was always like, people always looked at me and said, oh, didn't I go to camp with you? You know, it was never like, oh, you're that person. You're that role. Um, so I, I haven't, had that? I mean, during COVID, I was like, maybe this is it. Um, but then, thankfully, I've I'm not allowed to talk about it because <laughs> we're on strike. I want to ask you thing. something
0: uh, when we talk about it as, as you get older. Do you think ageism still exists in Hollywood? Because you know, women. You know, there's there's it's so funny. People always say, well, there's there's more roles coming available for, women. but it's still there's not enough. It's like, and I I I run into it. I mean, I live near Philadelphia, and I run into just like the. I hate to say blatant sexism during at business events I go to where I sit there, I go, Holy shit, like you're a professional. Why? And this is business people. This isn't, you know, the artsy open you know, type. But do you think it still exists in Hollywood? I mean, is it something that and, and how how can it be combated? I mean, is there any way that it will eventually change in your eyes? Um, yes, I think it does still
1: exist. I think ageism and sexism and um are absolutely rampant, and I think it changes with the writing and the producing and you know there's been a real effort in the last few years to be more diverse and inclusive um people of color, people of different abilities um have been more and more included in casts um You see that on television and film but really when you look behind the scenes i don't think there's been enough of a change um youth is always valued in in hollywood um more so than i think in any other industry where experience isn't everything it's its freshness and newness that is very sexy to this particular industry and i love listen i'm a mother of 3 young people who I want everything for. And I have students that I want that I think have great, exciting voices. But I also think that um, people who've lived a life have things to say. Um, So I think as we have more writers who are older and certainly more writers who are women, we will get more of those, uh, those stories and there will be more roles. But yeah, I definitely think so. And then we have people like jamie lee curtis who are doing some of her most incredible work um and i don't know exactly how old she is but she's not 30 and um but I, I do think it's the exception unfortunately and also because there are fewer roles there are women who are taking smaller roles than they would have um who were movie stars who are now doing smaller roles on television and it's just a, a natural um attrition for for other people. So I try, like I said, to be positive and um I'm lucky that I have continued to find some great roles and, you know, like you mentioned earlier, I wrote something for myself. Um but yeah, I I I, I don't feel like I'm seeing the stories that I would like to see. And and I think there's room for a lot more um, voices, a lot more women's um, stories of varying ages. Now, tell me lives. about
0: "Accidentally Brave." You wrote that. It's a one person show, and uh, it's it's a it's. Everyone says it's a very brave performance, and it's very personal. You delve into you know, it. Must have been hard. But what made you decide to write it? And what what was like the well? Tell the people what, it, what it's about, and then what what were the early days writing? Because anytime you write about yourself. It's, it's very hard because you're really bearing your soul. And I think if we're a performer, we're more, we're more insecure. We're already insecure. I always say performers, are, we're half narcissist, half insecure. And it's just, you know, we have that thing. But when you do, when you write something, I, I, like when, when I do stand-up, if I write a personal joke about me and it doesn't get a laugh, it cuts me a little bit. Because I'm like, oh, shit, that's not like, you know. But tell me about, tell everyone about the show and where it came from and, and what was it like putting it together?
1: Yeah, it's kind of a singular experience cuz it's so different than anything else in my life, but I had um I had another terrible thing happen. <laughs> I know you wanted a lighthearted interview and here goes, but um a couple of years ago, uh well, 8 years ago now, my husband was arrested and um my whole world and my kids' whole world and his whole world but really um got shattered and um and I don't have time to go into all the details, but it was, um, an incredibly, uh, scary, shameful, uh, horrible time, uh, on many, many levels and, um, navigating that time, I didn't think about anything except getting, um, you know, they say one day at a time I did kind of one hour at a time and somewhere along the lines. Somewhere during that time, I just started writing, not in any, with any thought of ever performing anything to do with what was going on. It was really just a survival tool. It was something that someone, I, I was doing anything I could to not um, go down with the ship, you know, I, to keep my oxygen mask on. I was trying different forms of meditation, medication, anything. Um, and occasionally I would jot some things down and, um, and then maybe a year into this situation, I, I was talking to a woman who, um, reached out to me during the early days and said, and was so helpful to me, like saved my life. And she didn't know me. She she was a friend of a friend who had read about what had happened and and reached out to me and and i said how can i ever repay you and she said we'll just pay it forward and i don't think she meant to write a solo show i wanted to share i i in all my years of acting what i think of acting as is storytelling you know i think i'm good at finding the nuance of a character hopefully whether it's a funny uh character or serious character there's just more two people and good writers and good actors and good directors find that nuance and this situation was very very gray and i um in that moment wanted to share the really messy ugly challenging parts of my story and i didn't really know how to do that but I knew that I could act it. So I started to write it a little bit and not know, even though I just said I knew I could act it, I didn't even know what I would do with it. I didn't even know if I just wanted it to be a diary entry or a TED talk or a nothing. And I, I reached out to a director, a friend of mine, who um, I said, I think I have something. And she said, well, let me I I didn't show it to anybody except for her, this wonderful director, Kristen Hange. And I went over to her apartment and we would just sit together once a week for a long time. And I would write and cry and she would go, kind of help me structure things and say, and give me encouragement and not push me at all towards even bringing it out to the world. And then very, very slowly, maybe about six months into that process, she said, I think we should go into a rehearsal room and just see what you have here. So it was very slow and steady, and it's a challenging topic to talk about. Um, if any of your listeners want, um, I, it, the show is called Accidentally Brave, and they did record it for Audible. We did film it, and um, it's a very independent film, so I can talk about it, So, and I don't know when, and where that's going to come out, but we just finished that. Um, it's a very, very, very personal piece. I tried to keep the focus on my story and not my husband's story, and not, um, and not my kids' story. And um, and yeah, I'm, I'm, I, I wanted, I wanted to be of some kind of service because it was a very, very lonely time. Um, and it's a very complicated thing. And I thought maybe by sharing my version of what was going on, um, I might help someone else, um, be a little less lonely and come through, uh, her own trauma. So yes, (laughs) that was, and continues to be very, very, very vulnerable, um, but a very different kind of project
0: for is, me. Is it exhausting when you get done the show? Like, I mean, it's, it's, it's one thing to act, but this is personal. Like I said earlier, it's big, but it must just be when you get done, you must be like, oh, I mean, it's probably yeah. also exhilarating because you know you can help people.
1: I mean, I did that show eight times a week for over 100 performances. I look back and go, I'm tired today and it's, you know, 1145 and I just have walked the dog. Like, I really I don't know what part of me and maybe I'm still tired from doing it a few years ago. I don't know. Yes, it was exhausting and exhilarating and fulfilling and terrifying and all of the things. And it's a different sort of energy and and by the way not just that play when i'm doing any play you go well it's eight times a week that's a lot but it's only a couple hours but it's not that it's just the energy of getting ready the energy of winding down after with that show there's just it's just its own beast um because i always um for over the hundred performances i can't remember exactly how many we ended up doing but i would go out into the lobby after every single performance because i knew that it was important for people to talk to me and um they did (laughs) and that part was amazing and exhausting to take on the the performing it wasn't as much it was hearing about other people's pain uh was really really hard but but rewarding and then of course i nobody that came said anything but you know online and people were very angry at me talking about um because there are issues um, in my story that are very controversial and I got a lot of hate and anger from people and that was that was really that was exhausting for it, me isn't,
0: I it ama- to- isn't it amazing like just the hate that people give out online like my my wife uh, before we started dating she was date raped okay, by a very a guys in jail for life now. But she started speaking. In fact, when we started dating, I knew her in college. She called me in L.A. She was here, and she said, just so you know, this is what happened. I'm on 2020, and this was while back. She wore a wig because it wasn't okay. Now she's been on TV and talked about it. But she'll put something, like, you know, on her page, and someone will do, like, eye roll. And it's like, you know, it's like what? It's so It's so funny that these people... And it's everything. And, you know, when you're a public figure, it must be hard because Twitter, people just sit there and go, well, X, whatever it's called. People will just sit there and lambaste you. And even if it's even if they don't know you, I mean, what is that like? What does that do for you? Because I'm sure I've talked to people. They want to get I just talked to John saying, And he said he wanted he wants to get pissed. But he's like, I, I can't waste the energy. I mean, is do, do you, what was your what would you do when people were saying these mean things? Did you speak back to them? Did did you just say, I'm not engaging? Because when you don't engage, they seem to disappear.
1: I mean, here's the thing. Um, The people who are upset with me, I try to have... It's not like someone's online calling me ugly, um, which is not fun. That hurts my feelings, and it makes me sad and a little mad. But these are... um, people saying, you're a bad mom, you're a bad person. Um, So it's really hard not to take it personally (laughs) because it was very personal. Um, I didn't look for a while. Um, I didn't engage, but I engaged in my head. You know, I engaged with, and, you know, the truth is I do have doubts about myself and about my, um, I, I know that I did that show for service. I know that I didn't make um, money, much money, if at all, from it. I know that my intention, I know my intentions were in the right place, but I also don't like hearing, oh, that was self-serving, oh, she's crazy, oh, this or that. So, no, it was hard. So I stopped looking because if I looked too much, I would just not keep going. And I did feel like it was helping certain people. Um but it's, it's really hard. And, um, I know a lot of people, a lot of friends of mine who are in, um, public figures, just either go off social media or stop looking or have someone else run their things. I like that certain times people can reach out to me. I do like that. Um, not in a creepy way, in a lovely way. So it's a, it's a delicate dance and, um, And it does affect me. It's not like someone saying, oh, your hair is purple. Then I go, well, I know my hair is not purple, so I don't believe you. But when they say things about my, who I am, it's really hard. It's really, um, it's challenging. And there are good days I have where I go, oh, I see that person's hurting. I see that person's pain and they have every right to that pain. And I wish it wasn't being directed towards me, but I get it. So that's on my good days.
0: So you've you've had this you've had a very successful career. Give me just a few highlights. What when you look back, when you sit there and go, you know, you sit there when you look back, what are some things that really have meant a lot to you in your career? Oh
1: gosh. I I mean, it depends on the day. Um, but like I said, uh, last night, someone came up to me and said what some kind of wonderful meant to her. Um, and she's probably a woman around my age in her early fifties. And, and it meant a lot to me that I've grown up with certain people, um, that certain people have seen me in things from the time, um. So it's not always about the projects, but it's about the people who say, I have friends who said they were giving birth and they had TV on because they had a long labor. And there I was on some guest spot on some cable channel. And there was something from when I was 16 and something from when I was 45 um, on in one day. So I don't feel successful most days I would say I always want to be doing more and want to be doing it better and want to be doing something new but it does feel nice that people have a warm (laughs) a warm feeling towards me and I think that I've gotten um, I think I've gotten a very uh, even though there's I always want to be doing more things and I compare myself to people who've done more better bigger um i feel do feel very blessed that I've continued to work and continued to have challenging roles. I do love being on stage and I just got to do one of the most challenging roles after accidentally brave um in a play that Steven Soderbergh produced called the fears and it's it was just a lovely surprise at this at this point um so, and I like, I've started to teach and that feels like I have something to offer. Um, and it's wild to see these kids that I'm teaching who are older than I was when I started, but they seem so young. Um, so I can't point to one particular project. I hope it's yet to come, but um, but I do feel grateful for the things I've worked on and the people that I've met who have become... Um, my chosen family. I mean, I love my family of origin. I do. Um, but I have really along, along the way, met some wonderful artists that are in my life to this day.
0: I want to thank you for coming on, Maddie. I'm glad we finally caught up. Uh, people go to her website, maddiecorman.com. It has all her info. Her classes or coaching. So go to her website. Um, go to my website, coopertalk.net. You can find over 970 episodes. You can email me at cooper at coopertalk.net. Twitter, you're on Twitter, right? I am. At Maddie Corman?
1: Yes, I think so. Yes, I think it's at Maddie Corman. And Instagram, which I like a little bit better, um, which is Ms. Maddie Corman, M S M A D D I E C O R M A N. Yes, I'd love to uh, hear from. Your peeps, and thank you for having me.
0: So people, check her out. Go to my Instagram, at CooperTalk1. Twitter, it's at CooperTalk. Remember, I'm Steve Cooper. I'm only as hip as my guest. Don't forget, drink your water, eat your vegetables, take your vitamins, and I'll talk to you next time.